<clears throat> so we're going to be in uh, Genesis 43. And in this uh, story, we've been talking about Joseph and his brothers. His brothers hated him. They, they uh, cursed him. They put him in a well, sold him into slavery, lied to dad saying he was dead. Uh, now he's running Egypt. And uh, you can read that story if you need to, to remember how it played out. Uh, there was a famine in the land. The brothers came down, got some grain. Uh, Joseph sent them back with grain, but put the silver in their sacks that, so that it would make them look like they were thieves. And then eventually they would have to come back. And he said, but you don't come back unless you bring your brother Benjamin with you. And Jacob's like, you're not taking Benjamin. Now these other ten brothers have to feel really bad. Because remember, they hated Joseph because of the special treatment he got. Well, his biological brother is Benjamin. And Benjamin is now the one that gets all the special treatment. Now if the rest of you die, so be it. But... Got to protect Benjamin. And finally, when they're ready to starve to death, Jacob says, all right, we're all going to die anyway. You can take Benjamin and you can go. But as I read through this chapter, I kept seeing the eye. Yeah, the human eye. That's what I saw in this story. I, uh, I saw eyes of wonderment. I saw eyes that were blinded. I saw eyes of tears. But it all revolves around right here. And the the old saying is that our eyes are a window of the soul. That you can look into somebody's eyes and their eyes are sparkling. You can tell they're happy. You can tell by looking at somebody in their eyes if they're in love. You can tell by looking in somebody's eyes if they're broken. If they're grieving. Because the eyes are a window to the soul. I always find it interesting with evolution. Uh, how do they explain emotions? If I just evolved from a rock, why do I cry? Why do I laugh? That's a tough one. We'd just be robots, even, even at, at best. And we're going to tear a lot of this apart here in just a minute. But I will tell you, I was, I was in an airport. This, this has never happened to me before. <clears throat> but I was in an airport this week and... Um, a guy came up to me and said, here's the deal. He said, I'm going to ask you one question. He said, you've got 10 seconds to answer. If you answer correctly, you get $1,000. But he said, you've only got 10 seconds. Okay. I'm ready. He said, what's the ninth letter of the alphabet? And I was right. Are you there yet? Or it just wasn't funny? (laughs) Sorry, sorry. (sighs) Let me tell you something about your eye. This is part of what has happened to our society. Your iPhone 14 or 15, I haven't gotten there yet. I have a 9 and can barely make it work. So, but... The 14, the 15, they've got these these triple cameras, uh, these triple lenses, and the pictures honestly are better than anything some high-end camera could have produced 20 years ago. It's phenomenal what these things can do. Do you know that the iPhone 14 has a 48 pixels? It's amazing. Let me tell you about your eye. 48 pixels, right? Your eye has 576 million 
pixels. So the iPhone took a genius to make it. Your eye happened by chance. Now, I'm not talking about the rest of the universe, the planets. I'm just talking about your eye and what your eye can do, all the colors it can see and all the movement and all the things that are going on. There are more atoms. Check this out. There are more atoms in one eye than there are stars in the Milky Way galaxy. Psalm 139 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God designed us in an incredible way. How do I see colors, shapes, dimensions, movement, all the, all the giftedness, all the brilliance of your eye? But we are so caught up with man. We go, oh my goodness, my phone has a 48 megapixel picture, uh, camera. Now my eye can do that when it's closed. Because the eye is the window of the soul. And I was talking, just me and God, I'm like, did you design this? I mean, did you sit down and like wire this or did it just come out of his genius? I don't know. But it wasn't just the eye. It's every part of our body and every part of the world and every part of the universe. And we're supposed to believe that all of this just happened by chance. Explain to me the human eye evolving by chance. There's just no possible way. And yet the eye tells us everything about who we are. So in this story, we're going to follow the eyes. The eyes of Joseph, the eyes of the brothers. And we're going to see how this story plays out. If you'll stand out of respect for the word. <clears throat> we'll start in verse 19. So the boys have now come back. Word would have come that, hey, they're coming. these guys are coming down. <clears throat> so Joseph says, I'm not going to meet them in the office like I did last time. Bring them to the palace. Now this is interesting. Because if you're coming back and you know the silver was in your sack when you left last time. So they think you're thieves and you're being invited to the palace. You've got to assume you're going to get killed. They're not inviting us over for dinner. That's what's going to happen. But this is not a good thing. And you'll see how quickly they spill the beans when they get there. So they went up to Joseph's steward. So they're in the palace and one of Joseph's stewards is there. And he spoke to him at the entrance of the house. And, and immediately we go into pleading mode. Please, sir, we came down here first the first time just to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found our silver. The exact weight in the mouth of the sack. So we brought it back with us. We also brought more silver so that we could buy food. We don't know who put the silver in our sacks. The guy's like, dude, it's okay. Calm down. I did it. But check this phrase out. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father. Now, let's just look at this for a minute. First of all, that looks an awful lot like a Jesus statement right there. Don't be afraid. Your God is with you. Remember the, the Egyptians worshiped 14,000 gods. Everything's a god. Pharaoh's a god. Pharaoh's son's a god. The Nile's a god. The alligators are god. The dog's a god. Everything is a god. They worship everything. And that was the whole story about the, the ten plagues is the living God triumphing over them. But this is Joseph's butler, his steward. Joseph has obviously taught his steward, there's not 14,000 gods, there's one God. There's one living 
God. And the boys don't pick up on this. But the steward said, don't be afraid. Your God. That's good stuff. The God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out because Joseph left him in jail to let him see what it felt like. The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they'd heard that they were going to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts that they'd brought into the house. And they bowed down before him to the ground. There's your dream again. He asked them how they were. How is your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? And they replied, your servant, our father, is still alive. And they bowed down low to pay him honor. Again, 20 years, this dream is being fulfilled in front of him. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his biological brother, his own mother's son. Is this your youngest brother? The one you told me about. And Joseph looked at Benjamin and he said, God, be gracious to you. Guess what word Joseph used here? It would have blown. He's speaking in Egyptian, but he's talking about their God, the living God. May the true God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. And as he washed his face and he came out, he controlled himself and he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to the Egyptians. Still true today. If you go to Egypt, they will sit at one table, you sit at another table. The men had been seated before him in the order of their ages from the firstborn to the youngest. And they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with him. You can be seated. All right, so let's talk about these eyes. All right. The brothers do not recognize Joseph. Now, we talked last week at great length about about their lying. See, there is no reason for them to think Joseph is dead, except they made up the story. They sold him into slavery, yes? But they made up the story that he's dead. They killed a goat. They, they got tore up his coat, put blood all over it, took it home to dad, lied to dad for 20 years. Watch dad suffer through all of this. But Joseph is not dead, but they've lied so much they believe their own story. They believe he's dead. So they have no reason, of course they have no reason to think when they're looking in an Egyptian it's going to be Joseph, but they don't see him. Again, he's in Egyptian dress, his hair's cut off, he looks like an Egyptian pharaoh, he's wearing the Egyptian makeup that a pharaoh would have been wearing, and he speaks fluent Egyptian. He's speaking hieroglyphics. Yes, it's a language. It's a language. And he would have been speaking hieroglyphics, but he understands their Hebrew, but their eyes were blinded. Now, I'm going to help you here. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 
This is something everybody needs to know about it. It says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. Now this is so important because some of you here have your eyes blinded. You've got blinders on. You're like, I, I'm here, but I don't know if I can believe in this Jesus stuff and him dying for me on a cross and him being God. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're in the land and you're like, I, I don't know. You need to know that Satan has intentionally blinded you. But Jesus is still the light of the world. Jesus is the one. So you need to pray for your eyes to be open, for the stuff to be taken off your eyes. You, you need to pray for other people. See, we go in and go, why can't we reach these people? Well, sometimes you've got to pray that God would take the blinders off that Satan has put on them. And Satan is such a master. I mean, you wonder, don't you wonder why people would glue themselves to a tennis court in New York? So they could protest a moth or they will lay down in the middle of the road so they can protest climate change. Let me help you. It's because they have no reason to live. They have no purpose. Now I'm not, listen, I don't want to kill whales and I'm not, I'm not in favor of that. But the point is, if you don't think there's anything beyond this world, you've bought the evolutionary story, we're all just a product of chance, the only, the best thing you could do is try to keep this earth going. And Romans chapter 1 said people will love the things of this world. People will think the iPhone is much cooler than their own eye. Because that's the kind of a world that we live in. Now, I won't try to pronounce this guy's name because he's Polish and I don't do well when they put a lot of consonants together, but there he is. Uh, he said, it is amazing how many people are ashamed of their body and how few of their minds. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute in our culture. Because we've been trained this way. So you look yourself in front of a mirror and you think, I'm, I'm fat, I'm skinny, I'm this, I'm that. And somehow, if you look in the mirror and you've got the right makeup or the right clothes or the right house in the right neighborhood and your kids go to the right school and you drive the right cars, you look in the mirror and you say, hey, looking pretty good. But never think about the mind or the soul or what's going on. And there's so many pretty people in our world that are very ugly on the inside. And we have been fooled into thinking that what matters is the outside. And yet 1 Samuel tells us very clearly that God doesn't look at the outward things, but God looks at the heart. God's worried about what's on the inside of us. But so many people are blinded because I must be blessed because I have this. And no, you may be cursed because you have that. But the boys, they don't recognize Joseph at all. But Joseph recognizes them. His eyes tear up. I think two things happened. I think number one, when he finds out the old man, Jacob, is still alive. And then number two, when he sees Benjamin. Benjamin was a little boy. Remember, Joseph was 17. Who knows how little Benjamin was. But Benjamin's changed a lot in the last 20 years. And he's overwhelmed with emotion. He can't take it. <clears throat> so he just leaves. Goes into his private room. And he weeps. And who knows how long he's gone. Had to be a little uncomfortable for everybody when the host just gets up and leaves the banquet. 
But Joseph had to have some time to grieve. Now, I, this is easier for ladies than it is for men, and it's hard for me to even talk about it. Because I was raised, I think I saw my father cry twice my whole life. 89 years, I saw him cry twice. Once, when my grandfather died, it was brief. And once when I dropped out of college. It's the truth. He sat on the porch with me and he said, Joe, I wanted you to have an easier life than me. That's the only two times that I ever saw my father cry. Now, I don't know whether he did, but just that generation, you don't cry. Though the older I get, the more I cry. Maybe it's because I know more. When I see children being killed, when I look at the statistics about abortion or, or sex trafficking, it, it, I become emotional. There are things that will make me cry. Uh, anger and tears are close. I think for Joseph, it's both. I think he's grieving. I think he's angry. And then you throw in some emotions of joy that the boys are all there. He's got all these emotions welling up. Well, there's another story like this. It's in John chapter 11, verse 35, with Jesus. And if you say you can't memorize the scripture, I'm going to help you here. Um, There aren't any one word verses. This is the best I can do for you. All right, at church camp, the kids would always want this because the kid that would go first would get this one and then I don't allow anybody to repeat it. But here's the story. His best friend Lazarus was dying. Mary and Martha, also his best friends, sent word, said he's dying. And it says in John 11 that Jesus intentionally delayed in coming. Jesus waited till he died. In fact, he waits four days. This is a great story. Because the Jewish people believed that until three days, there was always a possibility that maybe you were just in a coma. Maybe you would come back from the dead. That's an interesting thought, right? Coming from Jonah. And of course, eventually with the resurrection of Jesus. But Jesus intentionally waits four days. And when he gets there, Mary and Martha, they're crying. Everybody's crying. They said, if you'd only been here. Shows incredible faith. But we also know that Jesus didn't even have to be there. Because when the Roman centurion said, hey, my daughter's sick. He said, your faith has made her well. Go home. I've already taken care of it. So Jesus didn't even have to physically be there to do it. But they're crying. And then it says, Jesus wept. Now this is fascinating. Because... Jesus knows what he's going to do. He knows that he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He waited four days. They said by now his body's going to stink. This is going to be a bad scene. And he knows what he's going to do, but he stands there and weeps with them. Do you know why? Because you and I were never meant to die. That's what broke Jesus' heart. It was only what the choice that Adam and Eve made in the garden. That's why death came into the world. There was no death before sin. Romans chapter 5, you're welcome to look that up, verse 12. There was no death before sin. And then we've carried on that tradition quite nobly, haven't we? But Jesus hurts for all of you. So regardless of your tears today, if it's because of someone who's died... It's because of the death of a marriage or of a relationship or a friendship. As people look deep into the eyes of your soul, it's okay to cry. In fact, sometimes it is the only 
appropriate emotion. Because those tears release the pain, they release the hurt, they release the joy. And in this context, Joseph cannot contain himself. Oh, but there's one more piece. And that's the eyes of wonder. Because when dinner is served, the boys, the steward, has sat all the boys in a birth order. And they're all looking around. Again, their eyes are looking. And it said they were astonished. How could he possibly know the birth order? They're blown away. And then Benjamin's down at the end. And it says when they brought the food portions, the food would have been on, on the banquet table where Joseph was. And they brought it over and everybody got their portion. But Benjamin got five times as much. You think Joseph's trying to make a statement? All right. Now you need to understand. Okay, this is not like going to um, this is not like going to Waffle House. All right, where you're going to you know everybody got a waffle and he got five waffles. When you go to a meal in the Middle East, you get a table that's like eight feet around, and that table's going to be covered with food. It will be covered with everything you can imagine. You're like, I didn't order that. Ah, it's part of the deal. Like, you didn't order that. It's all part of the deal. And they just keep bringing out food. We'll, like an hour later, they'll get to what you ordered, but they're just bringing out all this food. So there's this huge banquet. So Benjamin has got a mountain of food piled up around. I mean, it would have been embarrassing to see what is going on. And again, they are astonished. They're in wonder. They cannot believe that this is actually happening. When Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's also in Luke 4, it said when he finished teaching, you can bring that up, it says everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. And let me tell you why. During the summer, it gets really hot in Jerusalem, so all the religious leaders would go up to the lake. Not, not too bad of an idea, right? So they would go up north to the Sea of Galilee and they'd have meetings. And during Jesus' time, they were writing what's called the Talmud. You're welcome to look it up. Uh, the, the Mishnah and the Talmud are books here. The books volumes are about this big. Uh, the Mishnah and the Talmud. And uh, basically, this is all the laws you have to keep if you want to love God. And you want God to love you. And people look at that and say, there's no chance. I got no chance. Jesus stood up on a mountain and taught for about a half an hour and told them how to love God, how to be forgiven, how to act in a marriage, how to forgive people, how to pray, did the whole thing, unpacked the whole thing for it. And when he got finished, it said the people were amazed and they praised God. You know why I think we're not amazed anymore? Because we're too busy being amazed at the iPhone. Have you seen what this can do? Have you seen what my finger can do? Do you have any idea the complexity that goes into this working? Try to get your dog to open a door. He doesn't have that gift. Let me tell you a couple stories. Here's the honey buzzard. All right, I didn't know anything about a honey buzzard, but I do now. The honey buzzard lives in Finland and in South Africa. And every year, this bird makes two trips to stay out of the cold. 
And they put a tracker on this particular bird, and he makes the exact route every year. He never deviates from his course. He leaves here. The only time he changes course is because he's got a water problem. He comes over here, gets right back on track, goes around the Black Sea, and then goes right straight up. 42 days, the bird travels 8,000 miles. Twice a year. Now, either Charlie Darwin is amazing, or Jesus, the great designer of all, is absolutely amazing. And I think we've lost some of our wonder and awe because our heads are so tightly screwed into screens and we think this is amazing because I can watch Gone with the Wind anytime I want to watch it. Instead of realizing, you know, I can do so much with the gifts God gave me. I am wonderfully and fearfully made. One more story to wrap this up because if you've not accepted jesus we'll have folks down front we've got people in room three that will help you online hit the button i've decided um but this is a cool story uh i'm not an art guy that probably won't surprise you but salvador dolly interesting guy big mustache you know what he looks like uh got a big museum over in sarasota um but every night no matter where he was in the world he would he would invite all of his friends to come dine with him. And he would take them to the nicest restaurants, whatever city they were in. And he would say, you guys order anything you want and as much as you want because I'm paying. And so they would. And going into the night, he had had, a, this is a, you know back in the old days, but he had a check. He was going to pay with the check. He would have the check all filled out. He would have, have it signed. And all he'd have to do is fill in the amount. But while they were eating dinner, he would turn the check over and he would do one of his famous drawings. So they've got a Salvador Dali drawing and they've got his signature on the other side. And he said, nobody will ever cash my checks. So he ate free for his entire adult life. Look it up. Feel free to look it up. Now let me tell you something about free. After everything that you and I have done, all the sin we've thought, said, done, been a part of, because of what Jesus did, one day we step into his presence and he says, you are free from all of that. Not because of anything you did but because of the painting Jesus painted on our behalf. So, Father, I thank you for the hope that's ours. And I don't know. Some eyes are blinded. I ask that you would take the blinders off. Some of us have friends and family that are wearing blinders. We're praying for them. I pray this is the day that people say no more of that. I also know Christians who are saved, but their eyes are heavily covered. They're missing so, so much. Others need desperately to cry, just get it out. All of us need to grab a hold and be amazed again. Be in wonder of your great creation and your great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.